Tonight, the lesson that I will be bringing will focus upon the Apostle Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. And more specific, we will consider the sharp contention that came about amongst them. Uh, it's interesting, whenever we think about these individuals and in the instance that we will get to in our lesson in the context of the book of Acts chapter 15, is that a lot of times we just deal with the issue that is at hand, but yet at the same time maybe don't think enough about these men and who it was that they represented and the things that they were doing in their lives. Whenever we look at, I can't get it to advance. Oh, there it went. All right. So, now it's gone too far. You may have to control it back there. Okay. First, I want us to think about things that we see with the Apostle Paul. Paul is one of my favorite uh, apostles. Uh, and when we look at the Apostle Paul, maybe you're like me. You, you find a man who is just amazing in every imaginable way. Paul was devoted to Judaism. And I believe that indeed we should admire him for the fact uh, as to how dedicated he was to what it was that he believed at that given time. Uh, we find is that he was born a Jew and he served also as a, um, uh, as a leader amongst the Jews. Uh, we understand also is that uh, he had studied at the feet of Gamaliel, which was considered uh, during that time, time, time frame to have been one of the most illustrious uh, Jewish rabbis. And therefore for him to have sat at his feet uh, says a lot about him. And he lived very strictly according to the Old Testament law. He knew the law, but also the way in which we come to know him, we see him first as Saul. That was a given name. And whenever we find this man, uh, he's not one that we're immediately drawn to, but rather as Christians, we would have felt the same way as what they did in the first century. They pulled away from him because he was not a, he was not a fan of Christianity. Uh, he was not a follower of Jesus at the time but rather he persecuted members of the body of Christ. And whenever we think about that area or angle of his life, then we, we also need to think, though, about Paul and his conversion. The Apostle Paul, whenever he changed, my friends, and became a Christian, we find is that it was indeed life-changing. Uh, at this point in time, uh, after his conversion, after he's baptized, we find that he has a new focus he no longer focuses upon the Old Testament. He no longer has this desire to persecute Christians, to destroy the church. Uh, what we also find, though, is that the former ways in which he lived, and the Scripture actually uses that word, the former, and that means that he's no longer doing the things that he did. He was a blasphemer as well as a persecutor. And now, though, he is a proclaimer of the Word, and indeed a very strong Christian after he has been baptized. Also, we find is that he was very uh, dedicated and very devoted. Uh, as we see him con converted, we find that now he is preaching and teaching and that he also leads uh, missionary journeys that are just beyond our uh, capability today to truly uh, comprehend all that he did as he was going about preaching and teaching Christ. But then also, as we think about Paul, my friends, Paul's works in the church are indeed very impressive. Now, when you think about his missionary journeys, there are three very specific journeys and several miles, several thousands of miles are, 
are taken under whenever you consider all three. And then there's at least one journey uh, that led him to Rome and also to imprisonment. Uh, whenever you look at the Apostle Paul, in his own words, he said that he labored more abundantly than them all. Whenever you find that expression, than them all, he's speaking with regard to how that he labored more than the rest of the apostles. I have a take on that. and My take on that is, is that I believe that probably he regretted the past life that he had lived and how that he had brought havoc uh, upon the church and reproach upon the body of Christ, and therefore he was working overtime to make up for the, the ill things that he had done. Also, whenever we look at the Apostle Paul and the fact that his works in the church are, are to be considered impressive, he wrote 13, possibly 14 books in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews is the only one that we do not know for sure who wrote it, uh, in some sense, it sounds very Pauline, but yet at the same time, in other areas it does not. So what do we find about the Apostle Paul? He was devoted to Judaism, but he understood that that was wrong. We find then that as a result of that, he was converted to Christ. He changed, and it was life-changing in a number of ways. And then he went to work in the body of Christ, and, and he worked without end, laboring more than the rest of the Apostles. Paul also focused in evangelism, and what a wonderful example he is to you and me. The Bible identifies to us at the point in time of his conversion as well as elsewhere is that he came to know exactly what it was that God wanted him to do. He was separated from his mother's womb for the purpose uh, of serving God. And also we understand in the context of Acts chapter 9 is that his main mission was going to be focusing upon the Gentiles. And my friends, he focused primarily upon the Gentiles, teaching them about Jesus, helping them to understand the seriousness of devoting their lives to God, and therefore as a result of that, many, thousands upon top of thousands of people were converted, if not directly, indirectly, because of the work that the Apostle Paul did. But not only was he able to convert uh, Gentiles, he also from time to time would work amongst the Jews. And he was able to be successful in helping to bring his fellow Jews to Christ. And my friends, what a beautiful example this is to you and me. We need to be people who are constantly looking out into the world in which we live and doing everything that is within our power to do to bring the lost to Christ. Because if we do not focus in these areas, then my friends, these souls are going to be lost. And you and I will be accountable to God. Because that great commission that is given in the context of Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and verse 20, as well as Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, not only did it apply to the first century church, but friends, the Bible teaches us that that is also applicable to us. We need to be missionaries. We need to make sure that we are servants in the community of which we are part of, telling everybody about Jesus. And that, that is one of the things that impresses me most about the Apostle Paul is that he was Christ-focused and he wanted to bring others uh, to focus upon Christ as well and to serve the Lord so that they could dwell eternally in heaven with God. Also, as we uh, consider the things that we see about Paul, Paul's faithfulness should be followed. He was fully devoted to God. There was no one, there was no uh, thing that he was going to face in life that was going to pull him away from God. Now, he was challenged. That's what you and I are challenged. But yet at the same time, I believe that every single day he understood whenever he awoke that he was committed to God and he was going to live that day committed to God. And then he repeated that in a sequential every single day. 
And what a wonderful example that is to you and me, is that we need to be true, faithful servants of the Lord, no matter what happens in our lives. If I were to stop today, right here and now, and to say, what do you think about the Apostle Paul? I trust that every single one of us within uh, the sound of my voice tonight would say he was a great man. He was not only a wonderful man after he's converted to Christ, but he was a very amazing Christian in every possible way. But let me ask you this. Do good people make mistakes from time to time? Absolutely. Now, I want you to hold on to that because we're going to get there as we get into our lesson even further. So now that we have looked at the Apostle Paul, if you would please, there you go. Uh, now I want us to think about some things we find in Barnabas. When we think about Barnabas, my friends, Barnabas was an encourager, an encourager as his name signifies. Whenever you look at his name, uh, that is his given name, his name really and truly is Joseph. Uh, did you know that? And not only do we find this, though, is that he was called Barnabas by the apostles. And we consider the the meaning of the name, which signifies that which is an encourager, and why did the apostles choose to call him Barnabas and rather than Joseph? It's because they came to see, as they spent time with this man, is that he was an encourager. He was an encourager to the Lord. He was an encourager to the other apostles. He was an encourager to those who were outside of Christ. He was constantly encouraging people to do what was right. He was constantly encouraging people who were, you might say, uh, uh, that were dealing with challenges. He was encouraging them to, to be lifted up. Constantly this man was engaged in encouraging people. But also the Bible teaches us that Barnabas was a sacrificial servant of the Lord. To serve Christ means that all of us need to sacrifice. And let me ask you this, would you be willing to sacrifice in the same way as which Barnabas did? We learn concerning a sacrifice that he made in the context of the book of Acts chapter 4, where that it was at a time in the church in the first century where members of the body of Christ were looking to the needs of other Christians as well as looking to ways to be able to support mission work and such. And those who had land, they were selling the land, and then it was being given over to the apostles, and the apostles were using those funds uh, for whatever the needs were in evangelism or if somebody uh, lacked the daily needs of life, then they were helping in those areas. Barnabas took note of that. And not only did Barnabas take note of this, my friends, we also understand is that Barnabas did his part. He had a field. He owned land himself. And what did he do? He did exactly what everyone else was doing. He sold that land and gave it into the hands of the apostles, and then the apostles used those funds just as what they were using the others, to the glory and honor of God. And therefore, whenever we look at Barnabas, my friends, we need to see that indeed through what he did, he's encouraging us also to do as he did. Now, I'm not saying tonight go home and, and sell your land. I'm not suggesting tonight that you go home and you put your house on the market and say, I'm going to give everything to the Lord. But what God wants us to understand is that being a Christian calls upon us to sacrifice from time to time in various ways. And therefore, as Christians, we need to be ready. We need to step forward in those areas of which God gives us opportunities to serve Him. But also, when we look at Barnabas, 
the things we find in him. Barnabas was material in the Apostle Paul's acceptance. When you go back to the time that I mentioned earlier about Paul being a persecutor of the church, he had, the, he had Christians. He had these, these believers and followers of Jesus. He, he had them just scared to death. Why were they scared to death? He was present at the stoning of Stephen, and they laid Stephen's clothing at his feet, and he was consenting unto his death. And it wasn't only there. That led to a dispersion of the Christians into the region of Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 8 then tells us is that he was going from house to house dragging people out and they were being imprisoned and even killed themselves. And therefore, whenever Paul converted, the church was very leery of him. And I believe rightfully so. And no one wanted anything to do with Paul because of who he was. No one believed in Paul except for Barnabas. And the Bible identifies to us in the context of the book of Acts chapter 9, in the latter part of that context, is that Barnabas spent time with him. And not only spending time with him, he spent time with him in the presence of, of those who were Christians. Identifying that indeed now he's one of us. Telling them, he is converted. He has changed. He's very genuine in what it is that he, that he says that he's going to do for the Lord. And therefore, because of Barnabas and his encouragement, because of the fact that Barnabas stood with Paul, then the Christians were more than willing to receive him. And my friends, what an amazing opportunity this opened for the Apostle Paul and for the Lord's Church of the first century. But then also, when we think about Barnabas, Barnabas was a teacher of God's Word. The Bible identifies in a number of places how that this man was involved in personally preaching and teaching. I'm going to say in our next point that, and I'll say it now and we'll just cover it, I guess, all together, is that Barnabas was also one of Paul's uh, companions. He went with him on his missionary journeys. And yet in this, Oftentimes we might think, well, as Paul was doing these missionary journeys and as he had at least that one journey to Rome, Paul was doing all the preaching and teaching. That's not so. Those who were with Paul also were engaged in preaching and teaching. And the Bible makes it very clear and very direct that that is where Barnabas was. In the context of the book of Acts chapter 11, you have a situation where the people have become Christians and they are dedicating their life to the Lord. And Barnabas comes in behind what they have already been taught and he teaches them, you need to be steadfast in your faith. You need to make sure that you're living faithful unto our God. And I believe that a bonus there, beyond his being able to teach personally, is also his relationship with the Apostle Paul, being able to go about with Paul and preach and teach. Now, let me ask you the same question I asked you about slide number one. If we were to stop here tonight, and I were just to say, ask you, what do you think about Barnabas? I trust that all of you would say, he certainly was an encourager. He's a great man. He was a Christian. But was he perfect? Hold on to that. And then, my friends, we find... Did you get it switched? Ah, there we go. Things we know in Mark. Mark played a minor role 
compared to others, others that we read about in the first century. Uh, what do we know about John Mark? He's referred to as John Mark, but most of the time uh, we'll read concerning him, and he's just called Mark. Mark was a cousin to Barnabas, and he was also a believer. We know also is that his mother's name is Mary. And I believe that she would have done a wonderful job in helping, to, helping this young man to understand that he needs to believe in God, helping this individual to, to understand what it means to be a Christian and to obey the gospel of Christ. So this idea that he was a believer, we need to understand that he was a, he was a Christian. He was a member of the, of the Lord's church, the church of which you and I are blessed to be able to be a part of. But he was, a, he was a cousin to Barnabas. And some suggest is that maybe Barnabas played a big role in helping to bring this family member to the Lord. And if so, and even if not, I'm going to say, is that probably you're like us. We have family members who are not members of the church. And my friends, we need to be reaching out to them, to our loved ones, uh, to our spouses, if they're not members of the church, to our children, uh, to our, our in-laws. I'm blessed to have... Uh, my in-laws who are, are very strong, dedicated members of the church. But some of y'all may not have that. We need to reach out to our families and then also to the world to help the world know what it means to be a Christian. And I believe Barnabas played a role as to what that role was. I don't know, but I believe that he had a role in Mark, maybe his conversion, but certainly in his walk of faith. Also, Mark likely wrote the Gospel of Mark. Now, we don't know for certain because we can't put all the pieces together because God's not given us that to, to draw the complete deduction. But rather, what, uh, from what we find written in the Gospel of Mark and then other things that, that we see in Mark's life, I believe that it is fair to say that more than likely he wrote the Gospel of Mark. But then also, Mark labored with the Apostle Paul as well as with Barnabas. Uh, he was a young man, and we need to encourage our young men to get involved. Amen. He was an individual who had an interest in serving the Lord, and therefore uh, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas took him with him on a missionary journey. But then also we learn in the context, as you get into uh, where all of this is developed from, in Acts chapter 15, Mark departed from these men. So why did he depart from them? What happened as a result of all that? My friends, the Bible teaches us in this context that things became unsettled. The Apostle Paul desired to go check on brethren that he had taught, and therefore he approached Barnabas. Now know what I stress there. He approached Barnabas. He and Barnabas had a very close relationship not only in working together, but I believe that they had a friendship that they had had and shared and enjoyed for many, many years. And therefore, the Apostle Paul went to Barnabas and he, he said to him, listen, I want, I want us to go and to, to check on all the churches that we've helped, all the churches that we've uh, been able to establish. I, I want us to go and to encourage them. Friends, my wife and I are in our second work, and we've been blessed, as I said a while ago, to be at East End for 14 years. We worked for six years in the north, Northeast in Pennsylvania. We had never even been in Pennsylvania until we accepted the work there and worked for six years there. Finally, after 14 years, 
in late July this year, we went back. And do you know why we went back? You could ask my wife without me telling you. I'm sure she'd tell you the same thing. We went back to check on the church because we had made many connections there. We had been able to, to teach people and bring them to Christ. And we wanted to see how they were doing. Oh, Facebook kind of connects us from time to time, but there's nothing like being there in person and being able to, to talk face-to-face -face with those people. And that's exactly what we did back just a few weeks ago. And therefore, whenever Paul said that to Barnabas, I want to go and I want to check on all the churches. I want to check on all these congregations that, that we're responsible for. I can relate with him, and I trust that maybe you can also. But note the context of what you find in the book of Acts chapter 15 and verse 37. Barnabas wanted John Mark to go with them. Now, remember what we looked at a few moments ago. John Mark had departed from them. And now Barnabas is saying to the Apostle Paul, okay, I'm, I'm willing to go with you, but, but let's also take John Mark with us. And Barnabas, my friend, stood with Mark. We're not surprised to see that. And Paul says, no, he's not going with us. In fact, Paul is very adamant in his opposition to what Barnabas is presenting. Now let's think about this. We don't know exactly why he departed as a young man. Maybe there's been a time in your life or a young lady in your life where that it's your first time away from home. And what happens? You get homesick, right? And you can't wait to get back. Maybe he was distraught with some of the things that they had experienced and therefore he wanted to get away and he wanted to go back home and just resettle his mind. But then also maybe he had said, this isn't for me, guys. And he walked away. And now whenever Barnabas is saying, hey, listen, I'm, I'm all for going and checking on these congregations, but I want John Mark to go with us, Paul says, uh-uh, <laughs> No, he left us. And I'm going, to, I'm going to stand with the Apostle Paul here too. Is that they needed somebody who was dependable, correct? They needed somebody who wasn't going to tuck his tail and go back home. They needed somebody who was going to work beside them and be there every single day to help them win souls to Christ and to encourage the brethren a sharp contention arose between them, between Paul and Barnabas. Now note, you have two men who have worked solidly beside one another. You have two men who are, are devoted Christians. I asked a while ago, was Paul perfect? Absolutely not. I asked a while ago, was Barnabas perfect? In no sense of the imagination. Both of these men expressed their way, themselves in ways that today I stand before you and I say, they probably should have handled things a little different. Have you ever been in situations like that where things don't go the way that they really and truly ought to have gone and could have gone if indeed you had taken time or I had taken time to address it a little bit different? What happened as a result of that? These men parted ways over the issue that was at hand. That's a pretty serious matter. But then also... We find is that as a part ways, Barnabas and John Mark go off. And then also the Apostle Paul chose Silas to work with him. And as they work, God goes on and follows the line of which Paul and Silas is doing. 
And there's very little that is said in regard to Barnabas and John Mark. My friends, that was a very strong matter. That was an area where that these two men, and maybe even more, split ways. And then what happens as a result of that? I'm thankful it didn't end there. What we find is that they were able to work things out. Years later, Paul was put into a Roman prison. I think about Paul in prison. My friends, uh, our prisons today is like living a life of luxury in comparison to what prison life was like back then. And what we find in regard to Paul is that he, he welcomed that because he also saw opportunity here while he was in prison. But then also, in the context of what we learn in 2 Timothy chapter um, 4 and verse 6 through 8, is that Paul was a very aged man. He knew that he was not going to get out of prison alive. And therefore, he says, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's the most important thing, is it not? I have kept the faith. And he says, there, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me. But not only me, but unto all those who love his appearing. So Paul is an old man, and he knew, knew that he didn't have much longer to live. And therefore, Paul, in the context of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through verse 5, he gives some final instructions. Maybe you've been in a situation with someone who is getting ready to die, and they, they say, hey, listen, I've got some things I need to tell you. And I look at the Apostle Paul, and that, friends, I believe is where he was. He says, listen, there's some things that, Timothy, you need to know and you need to share with the brethren. And therefore, as he gives these final instructions, though, then now also we learn is that he calls for Mark, John Mark, to come to him. And my friends, what an amazing moment that is. Based off of what is said here in this context where he calls upon John Mark to come, I believe that they've been able to work things out. They're now back on not only speaking grounds, but they're on a ground where now they're enjoying fellowship with one another. And what does Paul say about Mark? Mark is now referred to as being useful to me, he says, in my ministry. What does that say? When Paul was upset with Mark, he did not see him as useful. He saw him as a forsaker. Now, whether he really and truly was or not, I don't know. He did depart, and that's given in a very negative sense. But what we also understand is that Paul was also willing to give him a second chance. And maybe Mark also then was willing to give him a second chance so that they could work things out and be able to be with one another once again. But then also, my friends, let's think tonight about things that divide us. Unsound doctrinal differences in congregations can be very divisive. And whenever brethren are preaching and teaching things that should not be taught, whenever elders are taking stands that they cannot, must not take, then as members of the body of Christ, we need to approach that. And we need to do everything that is within our power to do as we have those opportunities before us to help those who are teaching error, those who are not holding to, uh, to sound doctrine, 
We need to do all that we can do ourselves or even together to help change, to help change a congregation, to help change the path of which they're on, if indeed they're not teaching sound doctrine. But then also, as we think about things that divide us, matters of opinion on unimportant things. You know, I've seen in the time that I've been working as a full-time minister, that's 20 years to uh, this year. It just came to my head. 20 years, wow, that's a long time. In the 20 years that, that I've been working as a minister, and at East End, I also serve in the eldership. And it amazes me, but I'm going to say it this way, it really saddens me over crazy things that people will get upset with. They'll get upset with the, the color of the carpet or the type of carpet you put down or the fact that you put down carpet at all. And I bring that up because we're getting ready to lay carpet down. And we took the colors and laid them out uh, back in the foyer and said, if, this, if, you, if, if, if you want to give your thoughts on the carpet, here's what we're looking at. But you know even though we've taken all those steps, it doesn't always ensure that everybody's going to be happy with it. But then also, sometimes disagreements come about due to personality conflicts. Somebody will say, well, I just don't know about that brother over there. He's different. Or I don't know about that sister over there. She doesn't like to hang out with us the way that the rest of us ladies like to hang out. Or, or I don't like the preacher's wife, and so on and such. And brethren, these things... These things can hurt us. These things can divide us. And these things can destroy us and destroy the body of Christ. But also sometimes there's a dislike for preachers and elders and such. About three years ago, we were going through a situation in, in uh, uh, McMinnville with our congregation where that there were three individuals, and we later found out there was a fourth, who was coming against me and coming against her eldership because they wanted to turn the tide. They wanted... They wanted things to be their way. And we did not allow that to go on. Now, I'm going to say this. We let it go on for too long. We let it go on for about a year, year and a half because we didn't, want to, we didn't want to disrupt things in the church. And here's the problem. Because we didn't address it, guess what happened? It disrupted the church anyway. And then finally, we said, and I did a lesson on this, and, and those people out there, enough is enough. And my friends whenever it comes to the preacher, whenever it comes to the elders, whenever it comes to members, we are Christians. We are all on the same page if we're members of the Lord's church. And let's work together. Yet let's unite. Great things can be done as a result of our working together. But then also sometimes people get uh, offended. Uh, people uh, are divided over the, uh, having their toes stepped on. And I was thinking about that uh, earlier this afternoon, and uh, I did a lesson here a while back about uh, is your heart right with God? And it was near the end of that lesson, uh, I said, I realized that today probably I've stepped on some of y'all's toes. And sure enough, some of them are looking at me like, yeah, you sure did. You got both feet. And I said this, and I'm not the first preacher to say it, it won't be the last. As I said, if I stepped on your toes, I'm sorry. Because really and truly, I was aiming for your hearts. And brethren, whenever a preacher stands up, an elder stand up, and they preach a lesson that step on our toes, it's not a time to get disgruntled over and leave. Rather, it's about taking 
hits it hard. It's about letting it resonate within us and making those changes in our lives that we will be able to glorify God always. But then also, let's think about some other things. Let's think about things that come about. Brethren, leave one congregation for another one. When we moved to Warren County, McMinnville's in Warren County, when we moved to Warren County from Pennsylvania, does, does anyone in, in here know uh, Gary Hampton? Gary Hampton. Gary worked uh, one of the congregations here in Cookville for several years. He was the director of um, East Tennessee School of Preaching and Missions after I graduated from there years later. But uh, I knew Gary, still know and love him today. And I, so I called Gary up. We had the invitation to come to East End. And I said, Gary, what can you tell me about the Church of Christ there at East End in McMinnville, Tennessee? He said, I can't tell you anything at all about the church there at East End, but he said that I can tell you about the church in Warren County. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, the church in Warren County has a problem about dividing. If somebody's not happy at one place, then they're going to jump over here. And they're, if they're not happy uh, there, then they're going to jump over here. When we moved to East End, uh, there in McMinnville and started working with the congregation, they had about 170 members. 170 members. That was a big congregation to us having come from Pennsylvania. Uh, we had the biggest congregation in Pennsylvania, which was about 200. Uh, but in that Still, we looked at this congregation and thought, wow, 170 members, that's pretty good. We got there and literally were there for about four weeks. And one of the members come up and said, you know, we lost about 100 members uh, before you interviewed here. I said, you what? And I went and sat with the eldership and I said, did we lose over 100 members before you offered me the job, before we ever came into this picture? They said, yeah, they weren't happy with the other preacher, so they left us. I said, why didn't you tell me that? And they said, well, we're afraid you wouldn't have come. They said, would you? And I said, no. But we're here now, and we've got to straighten things out. And brethren, we grew. And in our growth, most of that growth came from area-wide congregations. And you know what I thought to myself? Now, I was a younger preacher back then. Fourteen years, you, you learn a lot. You mature a lot, I hope anyway. As I thought to myself, man, these people must be coming from congregations that aren't solid. And the more I know now is that they were coming from congregations that were solid. And they were coming, in our case, to hear the new guy who was in town. And I had it in my mind, we're just going to keep on growing. There's no end to this. Guess what? They got disgruntled over things that I said. They got disgruntled over things that, that didn't go their way. And they, they left us for another congregation. And some of them have moved on yet to other congregations. So a lot of times, whenever things aren't as what we think they ought to be, I'm not talking about matters of doctrine. I'm talking about matters of opinion. Then sometimes we leave one congregation for another. And the Lord's work gets put on the back burner. I think about the Apostle Paul in his desire to go to the church at uh, Thessalonica. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18, Paul says, I wanted to come to you time and time again, but Satan hindered me. And my friend's division is indeed a work of the devil. 
because he knows that if he can divide, he will also conquer. Also, when we think about what comes about, new converts and mature saints oftentimes are challenged. Those who are new Christians, they say, well, what's going on? What have I now become a part of? And sometimes mature saints say, you know, this isn't really and truly what the church is supposed to look back, and they lose their faith and they walk away. And therefore, we've created problems. Also, the Bible teaches us is that reproach oftentimes is brought upon the body of Christ when division is in place, if it's not for doctrinal matters. For doctrinal matters, it's understandable and indeed acceptable. But in matters of opinion, it most certainly is not. Our God is displeased whenever brethren divide over things that they should not divide over. And what a wonderful lesson God gives us as we think about our role in the church. Go ahead and advance me, please. Thank you. So now let's think about some things that Christians must do. Number one, never take part in destroying anyone. You and I need to make sure that we guard our, our tongues and our hearts. We need to make sure that whenever we, whenever we speak about one another, is that we speak in a very encouraging way. I believe Barnabas probably is our greatest example in that. We need to make sure that our, that our words are seasoned with salt and that our words are pure and aimed at helping to build up, never to destroy. We need to refrain from unwarranted disputes. Why do I say unwarranted? Because whenever it comes to doctrinal matters, my friends, it needs to be disputed. When it comes to things that are unscriptural, then we need to refute those things. And we need to be very quick and prompt about doing so. But whenever it comes to things that are matters of opinion, whenever it comes to things that, that really and truly at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. God teaches us is that we need to refrain from those things because they destroy us and our relationship with Him. But also, we must love one another as Christ loves us. And that love is an agape love, which means that it is a sacrificial, never-ending love that we devote ourselves fully, not only to Christ in love, but also we devote ourselves fully to one another in love. We suffer along with one another. And I'm not talking about compromise. We suffer along with one another, never to divide over foolishness. We must work out our troubles instead of dividing. We need to be people who sit down and talk things over. My wife and I have been blessed to be married 30-some years, and I know that I didn't get it complete. How many years is it? 30, 36 years, okay. You saw me doing this, right? So I'm in trouble afterwards. 36 years. Wow, you put up with me that long. 36 years, and it's not always been a bed of roses. And she says, amen. We've had our differences. We've had our spats. But you know what? I love her and she loves me. We've never, we've never said, hey, let's get a divorce. We've never said, let's separate. Let's divide the home. We were blessed with two children. And you've heard me say a grandson. And their spouses. And there's times that maybe we've had disagreements. Do you know what we've done? Get out of the house. No. Let's sit down and talk. Let's work things through. Let's settle these matters. Why? Because we're a family. Listen to me. We're a family of God. If we've been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the Lord has added us to His church, 
And brethren, we're family. And family sticks together. Family works together. Family works things out rather than dividing and going different ways. What am I saying? The Bible teaches us is that we must shine as the glorious church. Jesus said it best, I believe, in the context of Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through verse 18. He says, you're the light of the world. No one lights a candle and puts it under a bushel, but rather they, they put it out so that it gives light to all that are in the house. Therefore let, your, therefore let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. Listen to this. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let me admit something here. I know that that is a pre-kingdom verse. What do I mean by that? What Jesus teaches there in the context of Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16, and in fact all that even before, was before the church was established. But what he was teaching there comes forward to the church. Meaning that as Christians now, we are to shine as the light, reflecting Christ before the world and also encouraging one another. Brethren, thank you so very much for the opportunity to be here. We love you. Thank you so much for your dedication, allowing us to be a part of, of your ministry tonight. Thank you.